Hey guys, this is Sean Kanan, and you are listening to the Then Is Now podcast. Rise and shine, my sinners. When Father Evil starts his day, he gets a little deadly. Deadly Grounds Coffee has the richest, smoothest flavor you'll find anywhere. It's sinfully delicious. Once you go deadly, you never go back. Order yours at getdeadly.com. Coffee's so good, it's scary. Hi, this is Rigor, host of Then Is Now podcast and The East Meets the West. I just wanted to say thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers. We appreciate your support as we grow the audience for our shows. You could find our links to our Patreon page as well as our T Public page at havenpodcasts.com. With Patreon, you'll get a lot of exclusive stuff, including our monthly pop culture newsletter, cool gifts, discounts for Tee Public, and our special exclusive show, Then Is Now Filmmakers series, in which we interview directors, producers, writers, composers, special effects guys, basically anybody who works behind the scenes in film and television, and get their insights into the process of creating films and TV shows. Also at our Tee Public page, you'll find cool merch that you can get or even give to others as gifts. You can find those links at our website, or you can go directly to tpublic.com slash stores slash havenpodcasts and patreon.com slash thenisnowpodcast. Enjoy! Hey folks, Rigor once again. Uh, just wanted to let you know that this is part two of our awesome interview with Scott Bradley, a.k.a. S.A. Bradley, who's got some amazing podcasts and some awesome insights into horror films, and he's got a new book out. So this is the second half of our interview, and let us know what you thought, and please check out his stuff, his his podcast, his works, his book, and all that stuff. So yeah, so sit back and enjoy the second half of this amazing interview with an awesome guy, and we're looking forward to hearing your response and your feedback. So please let us know your feedback at thenisnow42 at gmail.com. Thank you very much and enjoy. What kind of a sick school is this? Uh oh, don't go! Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. You're gonna need a bigger boat. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious, and don't call me Shirley. You got spunk. I hate spunk. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Oh, righty then. How you doing? Back off, man. I'm a scientist. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Say hello to my little friend. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. What are you people? On dope? Stop whining. I got a crap on your deck that can choke a donkey. Hey! Who is your daddy? I'm sorry, but all questions must be submitted in writing. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Can I do that? I'll be back. A dynamite! Show me the money! Don't! Up your nose when you have a hole. A what? I'm sailing! I'm sailing! Groovy. You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it. Pull it down. Love means never having to say you're sorry. Here's looking at you, kid. We got no food. We 
We got no jobs. Our pets' heads are falling off. Move to the coast. We get together. Have a few laughs. Hear that, Elizabeth? I'm coming to join you, honey. I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. I love it when a plan comes together. What we do is if we need that extra push over the cliff, you know what we do? Put it up to 11. 11, exactly. One louder. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. We're on a mission from God. There were more than just horror hosts. I mean, there were all kinds of kids' show hosts. Like Chuck McCann had a show, and um, well, Uncle Floyd and Soupy Sales. They all had some. I think each market, even probably um, prior to, not prior to the horror host, but earlier than like they kind of died off earlier than the horror host did. But you know, you had a, a kid kid show host in every market. Yes. Yeah. I, I remember I was in. I was in New Hampshire uh, in the Air Force from 85 to 89. And as I remember, there was still a, a, like a creature feature thing that was going on. But there was also like Robert Osborne or something like that was on TV. He was like the, the announcer for the movie of the week. And I was like, man, that's such an old idea that doesn't exist anymore. Where you just have somebody who's from the, the station. He puts on a turtleneck. Next thing you know, he's the, the authority for cinema. And he's talking, telling you about what movie's going to be on for that weekend. And I remember they used to have like a Christmas special where they were uh, people would call in or mail in. They go, ah, Taunton. This guy from Taunton is getting a, you know, a Mr. Coffee. <laughs> Something like that. I, I think you're thinking of Dana Hersey. Oh, is that it? Dana Hersey. Yeah, that's it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I rem- I rem- yeah, he was awesome. Yeah, I remember all that. It was just uh, amazing. And that was such a, you know, you're in a big market, right? Boston, San Francisco, same thing, big market. And yet it's so down home. It's so like barnstorming right. silly. And you get these people who uh, become part of the family because they're only 42 inches tall <laughs> and they're, they're, <laughs> they're in your house uh, already and they're just saying these really interesting things and they're just like yeah it's a it's a it's a living man <laughs> i'm just coming yeah. on here and telling you about these movies oh yeah chris what's your experience with the drive-in theater you know something uh maybe it's because of my age or but i'd never been to a drive-in <laughs> oh get out just get out right now. <laughs> um, i i envy um, you i envy you because well, if you get a chance to experience that for the first time. That's something that I tell people if they're seeing a horror movie that everybody's like, you haven't seen that yet. I always hop in and say, I envy you. I remember how I felt and I'll never feel that again. Yeah. I'll always have it just a little bit not there. So I, I envy you that you're going to walk in. You'll see it however you see it. And that's, that's the experience. Right. right. Well, you know, something my, um, I, I'd say video stores for me was sort of like that sort of tangible you know, because, you know, earlier you talked about how, um, you know, how we're streaming. There's so many choices. When you went to a video store, you knew exactly what you were looking for. And so so the, <laughs> there was that. But then there was also, you know, the person working behind the counter. They always knew what they, they knew what you liked, what you didn't like. They give recommendations. There was always a human connection. Uh, guardians. You know, we have all these great guardians. A, a, exactly right. And, you know, not only that, but. You know, one of the great things about VHS, uh, I guess, horror, in particular, horror movie VHS, are the cover. You see the cover, you knew it. it's like it, it was like that drew you in more than anything else. 
Oh yeah. Wizard yeah. video, all, all those Vestron video, all those things. You knew which ones were going to be really trashy. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. You know, oh man, I got to watch the new wizard <laughs> before they, right. get, they, they get uh, taken out of the country <laughs> and extradited. But uh, yeah, all of that stuff. I think that you're, you're onto something. And I remember, uh, that's why certain video stores were better than others because you would walk in and it's kind of like we were talking about albums before going to a place like nuggets place that has new albums, yeah. but also old albums. And so if you were an album guy, you knew by the color and the shapes that were on the front covers, you could flip really fast and you'd go, seen that, seen that, seen that, seen that. And then you'd see something that you didn't see before you go, Ooh, and you would stop for that color or that shape. And it was the same with video stores. I could tell you where the pit and the pendulum was. I could tell you that the alien films were over here. They all had the same box. Then you'd find the one you go, Whoa, what's that? I've not seen that before. Holy shit. The grim reaper. I got to see this. Uh, and you're like, Whoa, especially the mom and pop ones. You find yourself. Oh, yeah. There was, there was an, uh, one in New Hampshire that was, I mean, the people were obviously like retirees. They didn't know what they had. There was dust on the boxes and stuff. And they had <laughs> these transgressive movies because they had no idea what they had. They're like, well, let's just, right. uh, they, uh, we got a catalog and it said, if you buy this one, you can get this one for half. And so we'd get it and you'd be like, what the, they have snuff? This place <laughs> has snuff. You know, and you're like, holy yeah. shit. Yeah, and, and so what's twitch of the death nerve, honey? I don't know. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> See all these things, you know, uh, cannibal ferox, and you're like, what the yeah. hell? Yeah, so I, I love that the video stores had that where we were we were we were so inured with what we were doing, the things that we were in love with, like albums. Uh, that we had a shorthand our minds remembered those boxes and if i still go into if i find a video store i see a box from a time period it's just like an album i can go i remember where i was when this happened i remember you know this this movie you know i remember watching this with my friend who puked because you know right, the, right. You know, this guy did this in this movie and it freaked him out you know and i think that that's uh, that's part of the part of the fun of being a collector you have this thing in your head but i like i said before it's hoarding if you don't give it out if you don't do something like what you guys are doing you want to be a horror host sure. be a horror host you want to do a podcast do a podcast you want to do both do both well and that's the thing that's the kind of the goal of this show is we want to you know like i've always said this from the beginning i always felt like there's stuff slipping away from our cultural zeitgeist our collective zeitgeist of our pop culture's going away kids most kids don't know who Fonzie is. Right. You know, in fact, right. like a funny thing, we, uh, my son had never seen Scream before. He's 20, and me and him and his girlfriend sat down to watch it the other night, and when they showed Henry Winkler, he goes, oh, my God, that's Fonzie. Because he knows. Right. Because I raised him on Happy Days and all that. So we try to help people learn how to expose the younger generation to stuff that they've missed out yeah. on. And, you know, and I think your show does the same thing, too, it, especially with a more of a, a whole focus on horror than, obviously, than we do. We do tend to lean in the horror direction, but we try to do all kinds of pop culture. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but they're all interconnected, too. The drive-ins, the magazines, the horror oh. hosts, it's all... Of course. And I think it's, it's, a lot of it is connected. Like, if you talk to, to uh, drive-in folks, people who run it, they'll tell you flat out that com comedies do really well, but the moneymakers are horror movies at drive-ins. You know, yeah. uh, horror is so important to 
the, the center of that cultural zeitgeist. You know, horror uh, touches on everything. And I think it's cheap. It's uh, universal in its way. Like if you, uh, you'll hear this often uh, from people who move to the United States or move to another country. They watch the action films or the comedies because you don't need to know what people are saying in either of those movies and horror films. Right. Right. Uh, we're all pretty much scared of the same things. Uh, we're all pretty much, we find the same things reasonably so much funny and action is always good versus bad. And so whether or not the, the uh, intricacies are the same, isn't as important. In fact, that's how you find out the intricacies. You go, Oh shit. I didn't realize that that was so important in this culture. And so I think horror, because it's cheap, it makes money. Uh, it's uh, really something that universally connects us, that it is part of whatever system we're in. Uh, it's part of that cultural, uh, social uh, umbrella, uh, much more than people want to give it credit for. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And now, Scott, when you and I had corresponded um, before the recording, you expressed an interest in the theme of our uh, 13 Days of Hallotober series that we did this year, which was the modern zombie <laughs> films, which were basically, we talked about films that came after and were sometimes inspired by Night of the Living Dead. And I, I know it's broad, but do you want to give us your insights on Romero's films? You know, like talking about like the rules, that, the quote unquote rules that he set up for zombies <laughs> and how that's affected, you know, filmmaking since then. Oh, wow. That's that. That's pretty broad. So when he yeah, <laughs> when he died, I did a show. I did an episode called My Rides Here. And I talked extensively about what I thought of Romero because he's a fellow Pennsylvania boy. And uh, yeah. I remember when I first saw Night of the Living Dead. Uh, I thought it was a joke. I did that hometown kind of thing. Like, that's the best we can do, huh? A black and white movie. <laughs> a bunch of amateurs running around <laughs> in a barn. That's the best we can do. Yeah. Because people are like, oh, no, there was a movie made in Pittsburgh, man. And I, I mean, I was on the other side of the state, but it was a Pennsylvania boy. And um, I was disappointed when I was first watching it. And then the same thing happened that I think happens with a lot of folks who watch that movie is it's, it's like a, 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 a trap. It's like a Chinese finger torture, whatever that's called, where you get in there and you can't get out. It, it gets tighter and tighter as the movie goes. It gets more claustrophobic. And when you start seeing more and more of the zombies, it gets more, uh, the, the stakes go up. And by the end, when you see where the movie ends, uh, it's a real gut punch. And it's like, whoa. And that movie still has that. I went, I uh, talking about public domain. I went to see it with a friend who was a horror host. And so he wanted me to come and support his show. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to watch Night of the Living Dead with a bunch of people who have never seen it. This could be interesting. This could be terrible. So, of course, there were a bunch of people who had seen it already because that movie draws the repeat viewers. But there were a bunch of people who are college age and stuff. And beginning of the movie, they're laughing their asses off. It's corny as shit. You know, and, uh, you know, the way that Judith O'Day is walking and everything is so mannered of its time. And then it gets fucking crazy. You know, slowly but surely, the wonkiness starts to go away. And by the time they're trapped inside of the farmhouse and you've got this microcosm of, of culture at that time happening, uh, people are getting a little nervous and it gets quiet. And uh, you get to see this when uh, there's the, the very iconic moment when they open up the door and they hit one of the zombies in the face, the butt of the rifle. And he backs up from the camera 
and he's taking up the entire frame, holding his face, and then he starts backing up off the porch, and he's revealing all these zombies in the yard that you didn't know were there. It's the first time you see all yeah. the zombies, and you hear an audible gasp, because the movie feels like a documentary. It feels so homemade in the very beginning that when it really gets energy, when it starts to become very real, it feels very real. You know, and so yeah. by the end of that, there's not a pin dropping. You could hear a pin drop, that is, uh, in the theater. Uh, terribly silent. And then everybody applauds. Movie still has power. And some of the reason the movie still has power is we haven't learned a fucking thing in over 50 years on how to deal with <laughs> situations. So it's still got the same end. But um, that movie and what Romero did, I always loved that Romero owned that a lot of it was happy accidents because I think most art is great happy accidents. You know, mm-hmm. Jaws is a great movie because the shark didn't work. Right. If the shark worked, it wouldn't have been nearly as good. He, they had to use yeah. imagination, sweat, and acting to be able to pull that thing off. And so that happens over and over. And uh, the original character wasn't supposed to be black. He was white. The genius is he doesn't change the dialogue. He doesn't change a damn thing. Right. He just lets the movie play. And just the change of the skin color of the person changes the context of the movie completely and makes it dangerous in a way. And so I, I love that he, you know, zombies, he always said they were like, uh, before his movie, they were like plantation slaves, right? It was, a, it was more of like an industrial, uh, an industrialist problem. <laughs> it's like, the, well, they're always linked to voodoo origins. Yeah, voodoo know? origins. And it was always about, you know, we're going to curse people to have to work in the, in the cane fields for the rest of their life. Hint, hint, that was actually happening. And so, you know, that was one right. way to look at zombies. But then his idea was looking at them as ghouls. You know, it was really ghouls. They weren't zombies. They became zombies. But I don't think they even use the term zombie in the movie. But it became known no. as zombies. Right. But the idea was flesh eaters, you know, the, but they were undead. So it was this weird mix. Ghouls were usually living people who went into, or living things that went into uh, graveyards and ate the dead. Uh, but the right. ghoul then leaves the, the graveyard as the dead person comes in and eats. And so, you know, his... His idea of the slow-moving zombie worked for me, and I think it worked for that time. I think uh, fast-moving zombies are just fine as well, but the, the, I always like the, the way that he worked with the slow-moving zombies, which mm. is it's always about ignoring the problem. It never works, right? Well, we can right. get past them. <laughs> Look how slow they are. Yeah, but they never have to sleep. You know, well, I'll go to an island. Yeah, but they can walk at the bottom of the fucking sea or whatever. Right. They can bob and find their way to shore and we'll forget that they even exist, but they don't die, right? Because they're already dead and they're going to come and get you. And then like when you get to Dawn of the Dead, where you have an entire mall surrounded by these things and you forget the, the, the problem is people in that movie for a long period of time until those doors yeah. get broken open and the zombies come in, in like a wave. And it's like, you can't hide from them. You know, you can hide right. for a little bit, but they never stop. And the scariest parts of that movie, which is also like the scariest parts of like The Walking Dead, is when people forget how dangerous these silly things are. You know, it's, it's yeah. like lion tamers. Oh, well, I have my lions tamed. Yeah. <laughs> Do the wrong thing. Be bloody at the wrong right. time. <laughs> how trained it is. 
And I think the, the zombie was always like our social issues, our anxieties, the problems that we want to slide under the carpet, whatever it might be, the thing that we don't think is going to matter, the thing that we think uh, credit cards aren't going to be a problem in the future, whatever it might be, the zombie can fall right into that. The zombie is a thing of like, ah, oh, yeah, before you know it, you're up to debt in your nose, you know, you're, you're right. about to die. They're absorbed by these things. They surround you. And I love like uh, the scene in Dawn of the Dead where Flyboy is in the elevator and the elevator door opens. He seemingly says the elevator door opens and it's all zombies come rolling in. Yeah. That's his demise. It's like, yeah. shit, that's how fast it happens. Yeah. It doesn't matter how, how fast they can get to you. And uh, the idea is if you're not facing the problem, it's going to come and get you. And I think that's one of the things that Romero used to say about his zombies. He used to also say that it was the old being eaten by the new, uh, which is an interesting right. way to look at it. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, the, I think the, the rules really were people watching. I don't think uh, Romero made rules. I think Romero made his movies. You know, the slow moving zombie wasn't a thing. He just did slow moving zombies. I think uh, shooting him in the head wasn't a thing until it was, you know, Dawn of the Dead, yeah. they're shooting him in the head, but that's not like what was said. Nobody ever said, shoot him in the head. That's the only way to stop them. We, as viewers, calling them zombies, viewers called them zombies, not Romero. So I think that he played with those rules hard and fast uh, once they were put down on his stuff. I think it was, it's funny because Romero now is respected. Uh, and uh, the zombie is this phenomenon that I even have zombie exhaustion. I don't watch them unless I hear there's something new that's happening inside of them because it's just become the all-purpose metaphor. But um, yeah, it's interesting that they are part of the national or international world culture in such a way that housewives and grandmothers know about zombies and talk about zombies and watch the walking dead and stuff because back in the day like in the video store days if you were watching zombie movies you were a hardcore motherfucker that was right. like oh you're watching what <laughs> cannibal movies no they're zombie movies fuck man that's fucking gross they're movies about people <laughs> eating people fuck what are you watching they're falling apart intestines are falling out of people man that's some rough stuff i watch slashers you know so it was it's it's so funny how you know the, the zombie movie was like the real garage gutter the real dark stuff and now it's it's the thing that's somewhat respected in that way and i think that romero uh was smart in the way that he played with it uh, in the beginning i think he kind of lost lost his way towards the end uh, I think uh, I think he was bitter from what happened with Walking Dead. I think that uh, he was he was back in the day. He was one of the most fun, embraceable, just one of the guys filmmakers out there. He was the epitome of what we all wanted to be as independent filmmakers. Guy working outside of Hollywood, paying everybody a dollar to be a zombie, and he was always funny and laughing about it. But once billions of dollars slipped through his fingers. He became really bitter. And by the time Land of the Dead and the movies that are after that, it was almost like he read too much of his press. And it's like that happened with Scorsese. Scorsese was making these brilliant movies and then comes out Casino. And it just so happens Casino came out right after Entertainment Weekly called him one of the greatest directors ever and told him exactly what his themes were. All of a sudden, his themes are bright and stinking, yellow and gold and blue. And, you know, it's just <laughs> coming right out of the fucking, what the fuck, man? This stuff used to be nice and subtle. 
You know, <laughs> like casino is like Goodfellas done in karaoke style. Holy shit. <laughs> right. and, 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 and so that happens to people. You know, you read your press, you read yeah. your, your, your stuff. And I think that happened with Romero. And all of a sudden, the, the subtext was no longer under the text. It became right up front. And he always said, it was always right up front, man. You just weren't noticing it. And he could be right. You know, he could be right. I mean, it wasn't subtle having <laughs> Dawn of the Dead in a mall. But, you know, by the time they did the remake, that oh, yeah. ship had already sailed. You know, that was uh, a done deal. That was a given thing. So it was transgressive to talk about that maybe in 1978. But by 1986, you know, I think 86 was when Day of the Dead came out. You know, 85. 85. Yeah. Okay. That yeah. was, you know, that was, he had to go in a whole different place to be able to uh, tweak us. And it was talking about the military right. industrial complex. Perfect time for that. It was very ballsy right. to talk that shit. I was in the military when I watched that movie. I was like going, wow, <laughs> he's really talking about everything's just coming apart. And I think that's one of the things that was really interesting. Uh, Romero brings apocalypse to films. You know, the, the zombie apocalypse, we call it, but it's apocalypse, right? There weren't really movies about this is how things end. They end with a disturbing long-term whimper you know it's going yeah slow moving the idea that we're all gonna die so we're all gonna become the living dead is a disturbing thought you know and right. and he brought that where there is no good end you know th there's so much influence that uh, romero's work had for something that was just made to make a little bit of money for the image 10 people who uh put in i think everyone put in like ten thousand dollars a piece you know or something like that I think it was a hundred thousand dollar movie. Can't remember. Yeah. yeah, it was crowdfunding long before yeah. that was ever. Yeah, yeah. You know, I will say this: we talked about this on the roundup that we did the last episode. We actually talked about Romero and his six films, and I felt I really enjoyed Land of the Dead when I saw that in the so theater. I. I I had forgotten about Day of the Dead. Like I I'd seen it, but I forgot the major points of the film. So it I didn't occur to me that stuff. They had already kind of done the intelligent zombie with Bub right. in Day of the right. Dead. But I did like the overarching theme of the fact that these humans have walled themselves now into their own prison. Yep. And the ones in the, the building, the Fiddler's Green, they're pretending like nothing bad is going on outside. And they're living right. like, like nothing had happened. And it's this delusion that people do in real yeah. life. You they know? pay other people to feel as if they're moving up. I love the John Leguizamo character in that movie because there's the guy yeah. who, who is voting against his own uh, good sense, right? He's, uh, he's voting yeah. against or he's supporting things against what will really help him because he feels that he's the one who's going to be able to advance because he's doing and saying all the right things to the rich guys. He's working that job. He's doing that stuff. He's the, the military or the police that they need him to be. And then they're like, yeah, you can't get the key to the washroom. And that's, that's right. so real, <laughs> right? That's so real. Hey, thanks a lot for, for uh, causing a, a rift between the cultures in this country. So uh, thanks. And uh, yeah, see yourself yeah. out. I got a cigar yeah. to smoke. Yeah. Now, I will say, the sixth film, Survival of the Dead, I'm going to skip over the fifth one for a Oof. second. It's okay. It's just like, it's like a, uh, an episode of The Walking Dead. Yeah, I, that's the you one know. in Ireland, right? Well, no, it's an island off the coast of America, right. but they still have an Irish accent. Right. 
and there's two families that still have a feud. So uh, if nobody's been to that island, they would all be inbred. But right. Uh, uh, the, uh, the movie ends like those two portraits in the haunted mansion turning and shooting each other for eternity. And I was like, yes. Yeah. Whoa, <laughs> dude. I, I talk about like burning tire rubber. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's yeah. kind of obvious. Yeah. That one, uh, that one and uh, document of the dead. Or is it document or diary? Diary, diary of the, the dead. Document is a documentary. Uh, Diary of the right. Dead. Both of those, uh, I'm not a big fan of. Well, th- this is what I wanted to say about Diary of the Dead. When I first went to watch it, I think it was direct-to-video, yeah. and I hate found footage films. Right. I fucking hate yeah. Blair Witch, Cloverfield. I get fucking sick, car sick, watching these movies. I can't enjoy them mm-hmm. because I have to go and put cold water on my face every 10 minutes or I'm going to throw <laughs> up. Um, but in Diary of the Dead, Romero knew... When to put the camera down, when to cut to a, a, a static security camera shot. You know, it wasn't shaky cam from beginning to end. I thought right. it was very well done. And when I rewatched it for this recent show, I actually think this movie is kind of worth a revisit because, especially nowadays, with, well, you know, like you, like the three of us, we're working in this media, we're working online, we're doing things on the internet with video and audio and stuff. And that was kind of foreshadowing that a little mm-hmm. bit i thought and you know you've got this movie within the movie of this guy that's just his goal is he's just going to document the end of the right. world and the the girl in the movie his girlfriend doesn't believe it until she finally realizes that he was right and puts the whole film together and that's what we end up seeing so i, I don't know what's you guys' opinion in that movie uh i've only watched it i think twice uh, i i was re- i was disappointed because it felt like I, I, if I remember correctly, that was the one where it was like they're filming the Night of the Living Dead and it's actually happening. The Night of the Living Dead's happening as if it's 1968, 1969 again. Well, they were filming a mummy movie. Okay, but, mummy yeah. movie. Yeah, there was uh, there, uh, the, the, the idea was like this uh, right. self-referential piece. And uh, I I had an issue with that movie for the same reason I have an issue with a lot of the found footage films which is not as much a shaky cam as in, as it is like everybody is dinner theater. It's like nobody, uh, what the fuck? What the, everybody says, what the fuck a million times. <laughs> if you're scared, you say nothing and you crouch down. You hear a noise, something smashes over there. You hide or you stop. And you just look. That's one of the things that I loved about paranormal activity. They'd be talking and there'd be a noise and they both stop and look up. That's yeah. real. That's yeah. what you would do. Yeah. And every, every movie, including that one, people are saying things like it's all exposition. We got to go here because if we do this, da, da, da. And, and it was like, George, this is like, this is not you. This is, yeah. this is so, <laughs> it, was, it was like, I'm trying to, it felt like he was, chasing a trend instead of being a trend himself and and so it it just bothered me there was also you know cgi that's not very good that was uh the the kills instead of makeups that was a little bit upsetting uh just on a purist level which makes no sense but it's just my thing uh i did like the end of it I i and i think he does that sometimes where he meanders a bit and then the end is like really good he sticks the landing and as I remember, that movie has a pretty good ending to it. Uh, but yeah. but the, uh, the, the, the travel on it, there was one really good scene, I think, where, uh, I shouldn't say one really good scene, but the thing that I remember 
is where the military guys get on the van or they're in like an RV, right? Yeah. And they get on and they're just, I'm going to kill all of you. <laughs> I'm just going to take everything. You thought we were here to help you? No, we know it's the end of the world. And it's that whole thing where he kind of calls back to what's happening in Dawn of the Dead when in the very beginning, there's this news station trying to do a show and the world's coming to an end and the police are like grabbing beers and stuff and getting on all the boats and, and the police are just not going to do their job anymore. They're like, no, this is over, man. The, 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 the system's done. And he really, I felt it then in that scene that he had found that voice that I thought was so important that Romero had, which was, this is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends, not with a scream, but with a whimper. And uh, the, the folly of, of civilization that we think we're so impenetrable, that we think that we're so modern, that uh, we're the richest country in the world or we're, we're the most whatever, whatever countries that there are. It doesn't have to be America. But these countries that have it figured out since Rome. And no, we don't. COVID-19 comes. Right. No, we don't. We don't know dick. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're back. We're back. And so I think uh, Romero really got that. I think he was pretty radical in his thoughts. And I think he found a way to put that into horror movies where if you didn't have them in horror movies, it sounded like a, a screed. Nobody would want to listen. Yeah. Right. Right. So, uh, Scott, tell us about the book. Let's get into that for a little bit here, um, since we've been here for almost two hours uh, of your time. Um, Screaming for Pleasure, How Horror Makes You Happy and Healthy. Yeah, it's a love letter to all things that go bump in the night. And I talk about how horror not only reinvents itself to reflect each generation's anxieties, but can also be healing as well as thrilling. And, you know, healing, I'm not saying that it's going to cure your lumbago, but I'm, I'm saying yeah. that, uh, you know, it's going to, on the other hand, maybe take care of some of the anxieties that are out there. I think that a good horror movie becomes popular because we need it at that point, you know, and we can call it good, clean fun. And it is good, clean fun, but there's also some mechanism that's going on behind that. And, you know, I look at, uh, I, I talk in, in the book about things that formed my life, uh, how, how horror kind of walked into my life at certain points when I was feeling uh, uh, like I was disconnected. I think I talked about that earlier in the show. Uh, I talk about how horror tends to, uh, inform us about what's happening in the world in a way that's safe. Like, I don't want to see a movie about the insurgency, right? But I'll watch zombies do the same damn thing. And uh, it's kind, <laughs> kind of like uh, Godzilla, right? Godzilla, talk about balls. And I talk about things like Godzilla. Talk about balls. Would we have made a horror movie about 9-11 within a decade of 9-11 happening? No. They, the Japanese made Godzilla within a decade of Hiroshima and Nagasaki falling on their heads, you know, with two bombs yeah. hitting them. And that movie is not attacking L.A. or New York. It's attacking Tokyo, a beast yeah. from the gods of the sea that shoots radiation at people and flames is destroying the city. And it's like, wow, you know, it always was allowing people to release some sort of scream that was inside of them. But it's also fun. 
And I think that one of the things that I talk about there is what, what makes you happy and healthy. Well, uh, horror allows you to take a look at that shadow self, right? The part that we all have that so many times we don't want to admit is there. But, you know, like Carl Jung said, you know, you can ignore the shadow if you want at your own peril. But the reality is a healthy person looks at the shadow and says, that's a part of me. That's okay. It doesn't own me, but we have a healthy handshake. We do a little dance every so often. Horror allows that dance to happen in the safety of our homes or whatever it might be. We also find community. That's what happened with me. I found people who are just like me. I found uh, that uh, there were parts of me that I was able to accept because if I thought I thought I might have been alone thinking some of this stuff, but if they made a movie about my problems, wow, somebody else must have those problems too. And, you know, if you find yourself in a, in a spot where you also are able to have a sense of fun and a sense of play as an adult, very rarely do we have that. You know, we might be able to do that during sporting events, but most of the time our life does not allow us a sense of play. But horror allows you a sense of play. You can't take this shit that seriously. You know, you're going right. to enjoy this. So if you have a sense of play, if you're able to take a look at the, the hard parts of yourself and be okay with it, if you're able to release a little bit of that demon. So yeah, that's the kind of thing that I talk about. I talk about uh, different styles of movies, but sometimes I'm talking about things like religious and sacrilegious events. Uh, you talking not being scary. I have a different story about that. I went to see um, the thing on opening day in 1982 with my dad. And he was a big John Carpenter fan. So was I. We were fans for different reasons. My dad saw him as like a bridge with the older directors because he was kind of, you know, the, his movies up till the thing were reasonably tame, you know, uh, and they were yeah. very much like Westerns, people, reluctant heroes right. taking on the world. And so uh, he saw that Carpenter was a big thing fan because in Halloween, the thing was on TV and that was a great burst of nostalgia for my dad. My dad thought that, you know, he was a reasonable director and he didn't have a trash mouth and, you know, all that stuff. So we go to see the thing and that theater is full of fathers and sons trying to pass the torch of a movie that was so important to them and that he was hoping was going to be important to me. What they wanted with the thing is they wanted James Arnest just a little bit scarier, a little bit more modern, but being the right. same movie, right? That's what they wanted. They didn't realize that Carpenter was all about changing the game. He changed the game with Halloween and he changed it again with the thing. Yeah. And that when that movie came out, there was nothing as disturbing as that. I mean, you had the chest burster in Alien was the closest, oh, yeah. but that was still, that was gore, right? The thing was beyond gore. This was things that couldn't yeah. happen to a body. This was like eyeballs opening up in bodies of uh, pulpy flesh that used to be a dog just 10 seconds ago. You know, this is a head <laughs> ripping off of a body and growing legs while the chest opens up and bites the arms off of a guy. That's all happening at once. And this is with fa fathers and sons and the fathers are rioting. There was anger in the screen. We were watching that movie. I started getting nervous. My dad, in the very beginning, he's standing up. He's almost like standing up. He's sitting upright. It was like uh, I talk about the movie Rocky in that chapter because mm. Rocky is a religious experience for people of a certain yes. age. When we saw it in the theater, yeah. there were a bunch of people who really felt really low, and they watched that movie. And when Apollo Creed goes down, grown men cheered and jumped up at a recorded image. Yeah, yeah people crying in the streets after that movie it released something so important jaws is another religious experience it just oh, did this purification 
but it played fair. It was like, you have a contract with the director. I'm going to let you scare me, but we're going to be okay at the end, right? Carpenter said, no, nah, fuck that. Car- Carpenter <laughs> thoroughly, thoroughly dis- he thoroughly disrespected a classic, right? My dad believed uh, that right was right, you know? And uh, he, uh, that movie, uh, the original thing, is all about the communist Red Scare, right? And the Air Force, and everybody's working together. And the only bad guy is a scientist. He's too stupid to realize that we all have to work together. That's not the world that John Carpenter is making. That's because the 80s were a lot different than the 50s, even though they're trying to make it seem like the 50s. Uh, and yeah. you basically had paranoia all over that movie. You had uh, long-haired military people. What the hell? You know, scientists and military <laughs> guys, uh, you know, people smoking pot, guys with nose rings. My dad's having a fit. The first bit of gore, <laughs> and when the guy gets his eyes shot out, you would think it was like full frontal nudity. It was an affront. <laughs> it was a total affront to the generation that loved the thing from another world. It uh, bastardized it. It didn't take it oh, seriously. And so my dad never talked about it afterwards. It was like, yep, that movie doesn't exist as far as he's concerned. And for me, I was kind of in shock because uh-huh. I had never seen a movie like that. And I, I yeah. say that John Carpenter died for our sins. You know, we talked about, <laughs> we talked about Michael Powell, right? We talked about yes. Michael Powell being killed yes. uh, over, over Peeping Tom. John yes. Carpenter got fired from Firestarter because of how bad people hated the thing. It wasn't just the critics, and it wasn't even my dad. It was Starlog magazine would put out things like, here's what John Carpenter should be doing, directing traffic, photographing accidents, <laughs> all this stuff. Oh my they, God. Mocked wow. him. they mocked him. So fandom went against him. He never expected it. Huh. He thought everybody was going to love it. It was ahead of its time, right? And that's not always a good thing. And so that movie was a major failure, $20 million to make. And if you put it into context, uh, Aliens was $15 million a couple of years later. And uh, Poltergeist was $15 million. E.T. was like $12 million. And John Carpenter's The Thing was 20 and it tanked. And so uh, he, uh, but I think one of the key reasons was it was not the feel-good movie that the 80s wanted. It was an affront to uh, everybody playing the right and proper way. Uh, and it was gory as hell. It had this it had this transgressive thing, and it changed monsters forever. There's so much. I, you watch movies, uh, shows like Fringe that was on Fox. I, I would watch that show, and I'd go, you know, John Carpenter got fired for less than this, <laughs> and is right. playing on TV. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I will never forget watching that, seeing that in the movies, because my mother and my grandmother took me. My mother hid under her coat through the entire film. <laughs> my, my grandmother laughed through the entire film. <laughs> And I was just like stern faced through the whole thing because my jaw was on the floor because I could not believe what I was right. saying. And I was just loving every oh, minute yeah. of it. And I'm surprised at what you said. I had never, re- I guess because we weren't so connected back then, you know, mm-hmm. we did have the magazines. I, I did read Starlog, but I don't remember that. But I don't remember the fandom not liking the movie, but I can believe oh, it. Oh, yeah. Because of everything that you yeah. said. The you only know? thing that uh, there were a couple of us. I mean, it, was, it didn't get seen by a lot of people until it was on HBO. And then it was safer, right? It's a little screen yeah. and you're in your house. And uh, so it takes away a lot of that claustrophobia that there is in that movie. Uh, and uh, most people didn't see it because it was gone within like two weeks or something like that from the theaters. It was just yeah. pulled. And uh, so we saw it and I was in shock. It was like I had a car accident when that head 
pulled away from the body and there's this little <laughs> shot of it sliding off the table. I remember going, I think I'm dizzy. <laughs> it was like, it's just too much <laughs> happening all at once. And, oh and it was God. like, wow, I'd never seen anything like that. And I had seen Alien, right? But that was a, yeah. just a chest burst. So that was the big deal. Uh, this was like a one, two, three, four punch. And it was gross. And thing, there was like green goo and egg yolk and stuff pouring out of people's bodies. Right. Everything about it was grotesque. And uh, so it was saved by Fangoria magazine as well. The few of us that saw it, we spread the word. You got to see this fucking movie, however you can see it. Because here, look at this. This is what I was talking about. They had a full spread on Rob Bottin's uh, FX. And so they showed not how they were done, but they showed some of the effects. And I'm like, this is the thing that made me nearly faint. Look at that. That's fucking crazy. And people were like, wow, <laughs> even the still is disturbing. And so it was one of those things that uh, one of those moments in, in film history where word of mouth pushed that movie through. And, you know, it took till the late 80s, early 90s before people started saying anything. I mean, Carpenter was a joke. Carpenter was considered a real crappy filmmaker. And he did Starman to try and get in good graces. The, the studios were like, you should make a movie like E.T. You know, that's going to uh, save your uh, career. He was trying to, he made Memoirs of an Invisible Man. He was a hired hand yeah. for a while. You know, he had yeah. no rudder because they had torn it out. And, uh, you know, he, he talks uh, like Guillermo del Toro was uh, talked about how he met Carpenter and they went to dinner. And uh, he's like, you know, it's beloved now, the thing. You must be so proud. And Carpenter said, where were they when I, they needed, when I needed them? Where were all these fucking yeah. fans? And that was the thing. He yeah. knew the critics might skewer him, but he didn't expect the fans to kill him too. Right. And, wow. and that, was, that was the big deal. And I know why it happened, because Starlog was run by older guys, right? Starlog was yeah. a science fiction, Asimov-style science fiction thing. Right. So like you said, they were expecting the James Arnest yeah, version. They absolutely loved what was done in that movie. And there's nothing wrong with that. But they were not ready for what Carpenter did. Carpenter did what most filmmakers don't do. He decided that, fuck that, I'm my own guy. I'm going to make the movie I want to make. You know, you don't make it a remake <laughs> if you're going to do what he did. Right. You just make a movie that's somewhat tangentially like that. Yeah, uh, but uh, you know he he went right at it, and I think he if he was a pitcher he sw he threw at their head, and he caused a Donnybrook. But uh, at at yeah. the same point, it was the smart thing to do in the long run, just not the smart thing for his career, because he changed the right. stream of where horror could go. We have yeah you know, as much as we can talk about Romero. Romero never really broke. You know, Romero was a guy who you had to go like second run theaters. He didn't play the big malls because he was non-rated. He, uh, he shot himself in the foot over and over again by having movies that could, had to go without a rating. And by the 80s, the game had changed a lot. He was able to do it in 78. He was doing okay. But nobody really knew about Romero. Romero was a, a beloved character in the horror world, but he was barely a blip in uh, the mainstream world. They didn't know who Romero right. was. Carpenter, they knew. Carpenter was big yeah. enough, right? And so, uh, you know, they, they, they cut his heart right out. And, uh, and uh, yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's really interesting. Right. Mm. That's too bad. 
There was a movie uh, that came out in 81 that I just saw recently. I'd never seen it. I didn't see it back then, although I did see American Wolf in London mm-hmm. and The Howling, and those two movies scared the oh, shit yeah. out of me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But then a year later, the thing totally didn't. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> but there was this movie called Possession with Sam Holy Neill. fuck, Have you yeah. guys seen yep, this? Yeah, Heard of it. Oh, yeah. my God. There's. I don't want to give it away because I think it's something that people should see because I think it just came out on Blu-ray. Yeah. I'm not sure. Um, but... There is a moment in the film, a couple of moments, where there's a creature, yep. and it's to the level of Carpenter's The Thing, yeah. it, in terms of special it, It's a mixture of Carpenter's Thing, monsters, and uh, the the grossness of Ash being destroyed in Alien. This fucking milky, mucusy yeah. shit all over the place. And yeah, that movie, <laughs> I remember seeing it in a theater, and we were like, what in the fuck was that? You know, or like right. laughing, going, I don't know. Was that serious? Was that real? What the hell was that? Because you want to laugh the whole thing off. And then you see Isabella Johnny having this freak out when she's being possessed. And she's like smashing stuff against a wall and screaming. And, and she's, I think she literally went into a, a fugue state while shooting that sequence. And they had to like, Carter off the set. She had, she had after oh after God. that movie was made. She had to get a little bit of uh, help from psychiatrists because she went down this oh, wow. deep path. That movie was made as the director was going through a terribly bitter divorce, and I think it made its way into that movie. But oh, just a little yeah, bit. <laughs> but it was one of those fucking movies. Like it was eighty minutes because it was cut like crazy for American distribution. And so we're like, well, maybe it didn't make sense because it was cut. And then the director's edition came out and said, well, there goes that theory. <laughs> it's still, I still right. don't know what this fucking movie's about. But it's... Because I saw the two-hour version yeah, and it didn't make any lick of it sense. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But it is kind of like, it's a movie like what I say uh, about Toby Hooper's films. You know, uh, of course, Chainsaw is the, the best uh, version of this, but it's the, the theater of cruelty, right? It's the idea of keeping the audience off, of, off guard by bringing in surreal ideas and concepts and breaking away from normal narrative and having the fourth wall shattered every so often. You know, theater cruelty yeah. was an Artaud thing from uh, from the theater and cinema started doing that. And probably the most successful has to be uh, Texas Chainsaw, which is surreal on a certain level, as well as feeling very gritty and also feeling hilarious at times. There is a lot of really bizarre visuals that are happening in that movie. There's a lot of weird mouth sounds and sucking noises and close ups of eyeballs and spiders dancing around. I mean, there's nothing that makes you feel as if you're on solid ground in that movie and it's the same with possession possession is like a different movie every scene it's like what in the hell is yeah. happening who is this fucking weird heinrich guy what the fuck is going on here and uh, what is the faceless lord thing with lips holy shit you know this crazy creature uh there's so much weird in that movie and yet you can't just laugh it off because it's deadly serious in the center just like chainsaw is and eaten alive which is another really good underrated toby hooper movie mm. these movies yeah. that have yeah. this surreal thing where you know he's forcing the 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 image that this is a movie he's making sure that you know everything is artificial 
It's so weird. And uh, I think that uh, Possession is doing that in this very, very weird way. And it's got great actors in it to keep it from going off. Well, it goes off the rails. There's no way it, can <laughs> but it, keep, it keeps it watchable because these actors are like putting themselves through serious hell for this director. Crazy, crazy oh, yeah. movie. I have yeah. to watch it again. I haven't seen it in, in decades. Yeah, it's, it's like I said, the, the 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 effects that are in it are the same level as Carpenter's The Thing. It was, I was like floored by how good they yeah. were. Very Call of Cthulhu like, yes, in a manner. And um, but it was uh, that really impressed me the most because the rest of the movie didn't make a fucking right. Movie. Have you seen ha- Have you seen Baskin? <laughs> no, Tur- that's on Turkish my list. horror film. I highly recommend that yeah. for the disturbing nature of it. Okay. That's one of the most effective hells I've ever seen in a movie. Huh. And the last 30 minutes of that movie is jaw-dropping. It's somewhat surreal all the way through. Uh, and it's brutal all the way through in, in different levels. You know, It's a little bit like Cooked Thief Wife Lover in, in the way that you're just watching these amoral police officers. And Baskin means riot. And they shot that movie during a Turkish riot. And so these guys oh, were wow. dressed as police officers while there was a riot in the town. <laughs> and so you can feel <laughs> it in that, in that movie. When I talk about movies that have the, this thing, like they just kind of absorb what weirdness is going on. Texas Chainsaw is another one. People were up for like 24 hours shooting stuff. And you can just feel that people are losing their fucking minds while they're making that movie. And uh, Baskin has this thing where you're just with these immoral, amoral police officers who feel that they're above the law. And they cross into a different world, driving away from town, trying to get out of the riot. And it really gets interesting. Uh, I, I really like it because it was surprising. What I want horror to do is surprise me. You know, that's a really yeah. bizarre image. I would have never thought frogs would be frightening. You know, stuff like that uh, is what you get in a movie like Baskin. And the end of that, just when I thought the movie was going to be tame, the last 30 minutes is like, what the hell it's like rivals like last house on dead end street for just unhinged what the fuckness <laughs> <laughs> oh man real quick one more tangent i um <laughs> i watched a film called um i've just been gorging myself on obscure 70s <laughs> you know, gory horror films lately it. it was called beyond the darkness oh my god and joe amato yes yeah, and like halfway Blue through, Omega. Going, why the fuck am I watching this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, that's such a yeah. That's that's a movie that you feel. <laughs> oh, you definitely got to go take a hot shower after that and just boil yourself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, people talk about necromantic, and I'm like, oh, Blue Omega. You got a, a Buo Omega. I think that's how you say it. Is the Beyond the Darkness <laughs> name? Uh, Amato was full of movies like that. You know, he, uh, the Grim Reaper is another one that, uh, yeah. Anthropophagus or however you say it. Yeah. Uh, is that how you say that? Okay. Yeah. Uh, Anthropophagus, I think is how you say it. Uh, okay. but, uh, I, I can never be sure, but, uh, Amato was just a fun director. I mean, he did softcore porn. He did crazy gory movies. He did every genre that there was, and he did it all on super low budget. Uh, and, uh, that movie blue, blue Omega is like, I don't even know how he made dead bodies look that good. I mean, like not good, <laughs> realistic. Like there's a right, whole right. thing. There was a movie that came out, an uh, Asian film. I think it was Japanese. And it was about the concentration camps. 
and the movie was con uh, controversial Japanese concentration camps. I think it was Chinese uh, taking over Japan and the Chinese are doing all these experiments. Like they put people's hands in liquid nitrogen and then hit them with a stick. And so all that would be left is the, the bones and uh, they'd be screaming, looking at their hands. Uh, all sorts of shit like that was in this movie. It was just like, why am I being buffeted like this? But it was very controversial because there was actual autopsy footage in there. Oh my and God. so there was a body in there and there was, uh, uh, you, could, you could tell, you know, if you've seen a dead body. And uh, it was like, there was a puddle of just a fluid at the bottom of the body. And as they were moving the body, you could see the, the puddle kind of moving back and forth. And just the thought of it was making me dizzy watching it. And there, there, was a, <laughs> there, there were sequences in Buo Omega, Beyond the Darkness, that has that feel of like, that feels like an actual carcass. Now, that's, that's what a, a, a body boiling looks like. <laughs> right, right. Just goop. Yeah. <laughs> um, so one last question. Um, just wanted to, to wrap things up before we uh, close out the show. Um, you know, well, Chris and I have, our show focuses on pop culture of the past, like I mentioned before, and trying to expose young people to cool stuff they missed out on. And one of the things Chris and I have been working on is uh, a series that we started doing where we're trying to introduce people or help people introduce younger people to horror films. So we started with the Universal Films mm -hmm. We, you know, we, we talk about black and white and, you know, that sort of thing. And I think, what, Chris, we've done, we did the Dracula movies. We did movies. Dracula, the uh, Mummy movies, and uh, uh, Invisible Man. Mm. And, and the Invisible yeah. Man, right. So then coming up, we've got, you know, the Frankenstein and Wolfman movies, yeah. the creature. We'll, we'll eventually work our way into the Hammer films and all sure. that. But, you know, what do you recommend, Scott, for people? How do you get a younger person to appreciate horror and do you have a preferred me media, whether it be films, TV, book, music, That's whatever? Great question. Uh, I try to find out about the person before I start making recommendations. Uh, I have found that, uh, like when I go to conventions, uh, people will be like, I can't watch horror movies, but I can read. And I'm like, yes, because you can actually watch someone get murdered <laughs> on a <Yeah>. bus, <laughs> you know, and no one will know. It's the quiet revolution, right? Whereas a horror movie, right. the sound and all of that can really upset people in a way. So a horror book can take you down these paths. Uh, but it's always important to find out what that person is interested in. Like I tend to think, oh, wow, well, young people, they don't want to see anything in black and white. And then I meet someone who's into silent films and they've watched all the Lon Chaney films. I'm like, wow. Right. So <laughs> I, think, I think they're much more sophisticated than we like to give credit to. Because they can just put on YouTube and YouTube can teach them, you know, one movie after another plays, you know, uh, it doesn't stop. Uh, and you can find different things. I, I was stunned to find out that uh, uh, people knew who Vincent Price was, right? Vincent Price and Boris yeah. Karloff are somewhat timeless. And, uh, and then there's other things that you don't know, like Fonzie and, you know, maybe Fonzie isn't necessary to know comparatively, <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, I like to find out what it is that, uh, interests them. What, 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 uh, kind of thing do they like? I, I talk about how there's horror out there for everybody. People who don't like horror tend to judge the entire broad genre by the movie that they can't stand. 
And the people who are uber freak fans, they want every movie to be just like the one that they absolutely love. And the thing is, it has to be incredibly sub general and wide and broad, the horror genre, because it is so subjective what scares somebody or what interests somebody. What scares you might not scare me. What scares me might put you in a coma. And so we need to find out what that person is really excited by. So if they're into like the silent films, I, I sit there and I say, you got to watch some of the Lon Chaney movies like He Who Must Be Slapped or uh, look at, uh, oh my goodness, West of, was it West of Zanzibar? I think it's West of Zanzibar. I can't believe I can't remember the name of it. But that movie is Old Boy. <laughs> it's basically old boy, but <laughs> yeah. done back at that time. Uh, I always say that you want a good monster, watch Creature of the Black Lagoon. Creature of the Black yeah. Lagoon holds up so well because it's got this it's beautiful to look at. It's really, it's horrible beautiful. It's something that puts you in a state of awe. You can't not look at it. Uh, but you also have these really beautiful, it's simple. The movie's simple, but it's got these beautiful shots. Like when the, the woman is swimming and it is mirroring her underneath. And that's creepy yeah. no matter how old you are. <laughs> and so, <Right. laughs> so I'm like, that's, that's a really good one because uh, it, it, it feels a little bit more modern than it actually is. Uh, I uh, love to find out what people know of the 80s because I do think that the 80s uh, had a really good run of pretty original ideas and playing with stuff that had gotten old already. So Fright Night's fantastic. You know, that's that's oh, a yeah. really, really good horror movie of the 80s that does nothing but talk about the movies that came before it and shows a level of respect by taking it silly and seriously at the same time. The idea of the horror host is really good in that. Uh, you know, if finding out whether they like serial killers or if they like uh, monsters, do they like dread? That's what I mean when I say there's a horror movie out there for everyone. You know, you used to love horror movies and you secretly still do. You just need to find the right one. You need to not try and force yourself to watch a movie that is only there because I really liked it. Now, the, the idea of watching movies for historical value, if it's not entertaining, that's pointless time. You know, if a movie like even The Exorcist, The Exorcist has a different impact now than it did when I was a kid because the, uh, the world's different. We're in a more secular world, you know, but back at that time when we were at that tipping point of the Catholic Church kind of losing a little bit of power and our institutions kind of crumbling a little bit, the exorcist was very, very powerful. But if you're a kid and you're growing up now and you never knew about, you know, the Vatican I and all of that, that's not their fault. The world has changed. Context is different. If, on the other hand, you're my age and you willfully will not watch a new hard movie because you don't like what it says about the world, that's your fault. Mm -hmm. Right. And, yeah. and so uh, I need to find out what's relevant to people. And so I, I try to find out what it is that people will love. I always say that The Exorcist, I tell people, hang in there for the first half hour and then see where you are. You know, because I've watched with the audiences and I've realized how slow it is in a theater. I'm like, whoa, I forgot that this movie really takes its time to get there. But by the time they're saying, fuck this sow," <laughs> I remember seeing it in Oakland and it was dead silent when that door slammed shut and just somebody went, 
fuck me. <laughs> it was like, yeah, <laughs> that that scene will still blow people's minds at, at this time period. And it's a pacing issue, if anything, with the, with, the, with the Exorcist. But I still think it's one of the more powerful horror films because it talks about something different. You know, it, it's a very influential film. But uh, I, I know I'm hedging my bets and not really telling you an answer, but it really is an interactive deal. Uh, I think that it's not me telling people what to do. It's not me teaching right. you. I'm Professor S.A. Bradley. It's we're fans. Oh, did you ever see this? Oh, you got to see this. This is fucking cool. You know why this is cool? Here's what it is. If you want context, I can give you a little bit. But it's so important to not piss on what you love. And I like to say that the, uh, the, the, uh, the genre fans, we kill what we love. We demand sequels for Freddy Krueger till he means nothing. We demand sequels for Jason until he means nothing. We demand that Michael Myers become this killing machine when that had nothing to do with what the original Halloween was all about. You know, and we do this because we love what we are, is in front of us. We're like the Frankenstein monster in the 31 film. You know, we're, we're playing with daisies. We finally find something that we absolutely love. And this little girl's playing at a pond, throwing daisies in. We keep throwing daisies in. We're getting all spazzed out, excited. And then we're no longer have any daisies and we kill what we love. You know, the right. mania <laughs> never ends. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I think, uh, you know, we, uh, that's something that you have to look at too. Don't kill what you love. Don't be a gatekeeper. Don't tell people it was of its time. There were nice people all the time. You know, not everybody owned slaves. You know, it's like, don't say that. Say this was, uh, this was what was happening at the time, right? You know, and don't yeah. make excuses for movies that are full of shit that people aren't going to like anymore. That's okay. But don't get rid of the movies either, right? My thing is... Right. Uh, right. we have to stop with the or statements my way or the highway no my way and the highway let's see how right. we work this together I think you should show triumph of the will but you should say that all the people who are uh, making the sets and were the camera crew were prisoners of war that were working there Jews making triumph of the will and Olympia you know you should know that instead of, and, it, and as long as you know that you can still watch it for context. You can still appreciate everything that's there, but know the story. Don't pretend it didn't happen. Yeah. And so to me, context matters. If, uh, if uh, young people are offended because they've actually started at a finish, uh, at a starting line that was where we finished, you know, because we got as progressive as our comfort zone would allow us, and then we stopped, you know, they started from there. You know, it's not their fault that some of our movies are a little fucking rapey. <laughs> they are. <laughs> and they get to call us on it, right? I can still love Animal yeah. House, but I can completely understand why someone wouldn't, right? Yeah. And that's okay. I watched Meatballs recently with my son, and he was cringing through some of Bill Murray's antics in that movie, and I'd forgotten all about them. Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, that was, that was how you, you, know, you could allow that in a movie back mm -hmm. then. It's... <laughs> We were we were living in a uh, uh, in a uh, a different delusion than we're living in now. <laughs> I think we're always <laughs> in some delusion, but it was right, just a different right. one at that point. So I think uh, you know I think it's a conversation. It's not a list. I hate lists. I don't do lists. People ask me right. what my favorite horror movie is. I go, oh, you're killing me. 
you're killing me. Yeah. You know how many different <laughs> subgenres there are, and I have to fight these movies. I can give you a top three, and they're always right. shifting, whatever it might be. But I hate lists because lists take out the the connection. You know, it's uh, people want lists. That's fine, but I think lists make you uh, your school marm all of a sudden. These are the essential yeah. movies, and that's what I talk about, like a historical document. Watching uh, the, the train station movie, the first silent film, has no impact whatsoever. You look at it and go, okay, there's a train pulling into this French station. Great. Right. Oh, but the historical importance of this. This is the first time that there was a... Who gives a shit? You know, this is the first time a gun was shot in a movie. Holy fuck. It's like baseball. There's a stat for everything. And so, you know, uh, right. th these things are great to know if you're a completist or if you're a freak like me. But to assume everybody's a freak like me is silly. Right. Hmm. Well, that's what we're trying to do, too, is we're not trying to tell people how to think or what to, you know, what to think. We're sort of trying to just create a, a primer or a yeah. guideline. So, you know, we're recommending. We recommend you start here because the universals we grew up yes. on and they're much safer for younger people to watch mm -hmm. and, and they're visually you know, and beautiful. Then, so it gives us, a, yes. and it gives us an excuse to talk about all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. Really. And I think it's great. I think as long as you have a passion for it, like you want to give it, I think it works, right? It's when you yeah. sit there and say, kids these days don't understand what a cigarette right. burn is. Well, go fuck yourself. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> if you start with the millennials or you say kids these days, I already know that you're not really encouraging. You know, there's no encouragement involved in what you're saying. Oh, man. Well, Scott, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much. Um, you've got an open invitation to come back anytime. Mm -hmm. Thank you. You know, and maybe in the future we could do like a true crossover. I would absolutely love that. I think it would be a stuff. lot of fun, especially if you guys are ready to talk some serious, crazy horror and talk a little bit of... Uh, uh, some of the stuff that we talked about today. I'd love to go down some rabbit holes about uh, what happened with the, uh, the Hayes Code and stuff like that. And when, oh, when yeah, monopolies sure. uh, of movie uh, studios and theaters were, were there and how that shaped, you know, when we talk about these were, this was the times or it was like that in the times, that's because once again, like 20 people who thought that way owned everything. And we right. just all went, oh, I guess it's on TV. I guess it's okay to own slaves. Well, they didn't have TVs back then. But whatever it might be. <laughs> whatever it might be. You know, uh, you, you sit there and you have this thing where, well, we just went along with it because it was convenient for us and it seemed legit. And so you have a lot of stuff that we learned about men and women and, and everything that was in the world and communists and all of that. Not saying that everything was wrong, but saying that we had a viewpoint that was pretty much mandated by a bunch of people at the top. And, and right. so uh, it's, and now we have, uh, we have it being, you know, brought to us from the side and from podcasters who will suddenly have all this power or guys that uh, have green screens and show the United States in the background, and say they're a news agency, all that stuff's happening. So it's really interesting. I, I, I think it'd be fun to talk about what happens once, once we're given some freedom, you know, and how that changes yeah. the nostalgia, uh, how nostalgia can turn on you. Absolutely. Absolutely. You've got our contact info and, you know, we'll, we'll stay in touch. 
Um, so can you tell the listeners how they can find you and your book online? Absolutely. So Screening for Pleasure, How Heart Makes You Happy and Healthy. It is uh, in all the wonderful places that you would normally get a book. If you want to get it online, we have uh, the ebook as well as the paperback, uh, the, the uh, deluxe paperback book. Uh, you can get that at Amazon, Barnes Noble, all that. But one of the things you can do is go to hellbandforhorror.com and go to the book spot that's on there. Why I say that is the ISBN number is on there. So if you're one of the types of folks that cannot stand giving their money to someone who's just going to send rich people to space and you don't want to do that no more. Hey, that's fine. <laughs> you know, there are independent booksellers in just about every town that really need help. And so I'm big on trying to help uh, people who are independent booksellers and stuff. So if you take that ISBN number in and you go to your, uh, your uh, local person, they will get that book for you. They'll gladly get that book for you. And so I have that real easy for you to find. Uh, so hellbentforhar.com is uh, the easiest place to find just about everything on me. Uh, I'm on Facebook, uh, which is Hellbent for Har. Uh, also Twitter, as well as Instagram. Uh, and my podcast is on all sorts of things, including Spotify, uh, Apple, iTunes, uh, all, the, all the big uh, agencies you'd be able to find Hellbent for Har. Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you so much, thank Scott. You. Looking forward to talking to you again. Thanks so much. This was a lot of fun. So, folks, thanks for joining us today on our amazing interview with author and pod with author and podcaster Scott Bradley. You can send your feedback to thenisnow42 at gmail.com. You can also join in the conversation at our Facebook Then Is Now podcast group. Then Is Now podcast is a proud member of the Dorkening Podcast Network, so be sure to check out the other great shows there at thedorkening.com. You can also visit our website at havenpodcast.com where you'll find our sister show, The East Meets the West, in which we discuss Shaw Brothers films and Spaghetti Western movies. And while you're there, click on the Patreon and see public links to get exclusive stuff. Hey, Chris, why don't you tell the folks where they can find you as well? Sure. Uh, I am on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Stories in Motion. Awesome, awesome. And then is now is on YouTube, so please visit youtube.com slash user slash UncleDeath1 to get the latest videos as well as other fun videos. Please subscribe to our YouTube page and also share the video versions of our podcast with your friends and get them to subscribe as well. Don't forget to hit that little bell next to the subscribe button so you get updates on when we have new videos out. And we've also got a couple of actual videos under our, under our belts, so you might want to check those out. And don't forget to go wherever you download your podcast from and leave us a great review so that more listeners can find us. You can find us on all the podcasting apps, especially the big three, iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Class dismissed. The Now Podcast is intended for entertainment, educational, and informational purposes only. Sounds, music, and clips played during this podcast are the property of their copyright holders. All original content is copyright Jupiter Media.
For more shows like the one you just heard, check out the Dorkening Podcast Network at thedorkening.com.